All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Luke chapter 10. Uh, we have quite a long passage that we need to break up and, um, and have a look at. It, it's one of those that's read quickly because the, um, the application is not very, very obvious at first. Uh, so let's take our time. Luke 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Remember, after this, Jesus had had the mountaintop experience, come down to the bottom, had people doubting him, people demanding things from him. He gets frustrated. He says a couple of very difficult things in Luke chapter 9. Um, then can't even get into the Samaritans community, which becomes important here very shortly. Then others come up and say, we'd like to serve you, but right now is not convenient. Uh, my father won't approve, or I've got things to take care of at home. And he says a very, very harsh thing about, if you, if you don't put your hand to the plow and just keep going, you, you're not... You're not uh, acceptable. I'm not going to take you. This all sounds really, really rude of Jesus until you realize the time crunch he is under. He, um, it is rather like uh, years ago in, in the American army, you could only wear the, the black beret if you were a ranger. And rangers are... Uh, exceptionally well-trained infantry uh, individuals. Ranger school, I've, I've seen videos, obviously I've never gone through such a thing, and none of my family were ever rangers, so everything I know, I know from reading or from talking to others. But the ranger school is brutal, and again, a very elite group. Well, then a president came along that said, you know, let's just give everybody the Black Beret, and as soon as they did, you know, they're going, ah. and so now, um, it, it seemed like, well, we just want everybody to, you know, have it. But there was a one group you needed. And regardless of the bray you wear, whenever you're time limited, you're going house to house, it's going to be very difficult. You call in the rangers or a similar special ops group. Jesus couldn't handle the average walk-on enlistee at this stage. This, the, we are, we're talking a period of now of weeks He's got left to get everything done, perhaps months. Luke does not quite give us the timeline to help us nail that down. But regardless, um, this is, um, he can't just use the average soldier. I would say he couldn't just use the average minister. I truly believe that if Jesus was under this kind of time crunch and came to Middle Tennessee, he would not choose me. Not because... Um, of my uh, lack of love for him, but because he would need somebody more energetic, young, forceful to get his work done. That does not offend me at all. I understand that for the very same reason that I'm not offended whenever the military doesn't call me and say, hey, we've got a really tough job. We'd like you to do it. No, I'm, I'm not prepared. I'm old, unable to do what you have. So Jesus is winnowing the field there are shades here of another story. If you go back to Judges, the study of Gideon. I can't just take everybody. I've got to use a special group of people. So 
he's able to find them, 72 others. And I, I like the number 72 because it's oddly specific. The, um, the Jews used a lot of round numbers uh, for concepts, not really ordinals. Um, so when they say 40, it doesn't necessarily mean 40 different units. Whenever they say three or seven or a thousand, they use these numbers to mean something different. 72 means 72. There's no, there's no other purpose for this number. So I like the specificity. Sent them out two to two. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So he's not saying only these 72. He's saying, this is what I've got. I'm sending you. While you go, look for others, which is always, uh, always part of the Christian life. As you worship, try to find others to join you worshiping. As you study, try to find others to join you. In our neighborhood during the quarantine, we are making more friends than we have been able to make in the prior six years we've been here. Now the friends are, are online and via Marco Polo and um, via Zoom, a lot of via the Facebook pages for our HOA. Uh, but uh, we, were, we had to cancel it. We were gonna do a concert today. Uh, musicians getting out on the front and setting up their equipment and families walking by. So we're maintaining our, our social distancing or driving by, and there was a whole list of where to go next. And we had to kill that because electricity and sitting out on the front porch is not a good idea today, but we're gonna move it to another time. But my point is, while we're here, we're finding, as we study scripture and we put things up, or as we do a song and we put things up, other people in our area are paying attention. We did the red on the door, Thing. I don't know if you've heard of that or not. Um, as a sign of Passover, of course, in the Old Testament, you put blood on the, on the doorpost and the lentils. Well, we're not putting blood, but we and a lot of other people in, um, in the nation put a, a red garland, a ribbon across the front and down to uh, show our faith in Passover and in the uh, deity of Jesus. And that's caught on in our community. Last night, uh, they were putting out luminaries at the end of the driveways as a sign that we're putting our lights out in the middle of the darkness because we believe in the resurrection. None of these things would have taken place if Fourth Avenue was still meeting and I was still going back and forth to the office. So be aware, when you're on the road, we're picking up others. And I, I find that you know, that's a very early thing from Jesus and it continues. Uh, it, and it is a Jesus thing, by the way. The Jews weren't able to do this. You, you were either a Jew or you were not a Jew. Uh, of course, you had some proselytes that were brought in, but there's no evangelistic component to Judaism. None. There never has been. To Christianity, day one, there's an evangelistic uh, component. So go find more. Uh, three, go. And, and by the way, you might want to even mark how many times he says certain words. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Probably a very unusual pre-game speech in the locker room, one would think. Uh, we, 
I, I love watching football. I hope we get to do that again. Uh, I do not know enough about it, so don't ask me any questions. I just, I find it fascinating and um, about the spectacle and everything. So I, I really enjoy football and we're not able to watch the Masters today either, which is a sign of great mourning and I shall be in ashes later. Um, but you don't send them out saying, hey guys, you, um, you're the lambs, they're the wolves, have a great game. Unless you understand the entire motif of, of Judaistic teaching, and uh, I don't know Judaistic is a word. It, it, well, it is now. I just vocabularized it. So I, and now that the wordification has been complete, the, um, there is a theme in Judaism about the lamb. The lamb is the innocent one, but the lamb bears the sins of those that are not innocent. Um, now this, you know, your lambs among wolves, I don't think he's telling them you're going to get creamed. Oh my goodness. No, I think what he's saying is what my son tweets to me every time he hears something on the, uh, um, the Lance Corporal Underground. It's called the Marine Corps. And he's been out quite a few years, but you never get out of this, evidently. And he'll text me something and he'll say, keep your head on a swivel. Um, just be aware. You know, there's some, this is going on or that's going on. And I have friends in various federal and uh, international agencies that do the same. Uh, one of them, because they know I do it anyway, it says, pray with your eyes open. Uh, pray with your eyes open. And I, I, I do. I rarely, rarely close my eyes, merely because that's always been my practice. Um, it is not a, um, what can I say? It's not a religious tenant of mine. You, you pray however you pray. Uh, I remember driving in a car once and there was a, the only thing you could get, do you remember driving in America at a time you had to keep your hand on the AM knob, trying to find something to listen to as you're crossing? And God help you if you're in the South, sorry, or going across Kansas or the like, the only thing you're probably gonna get is a preacher who's yelling. And that was about all I could hear is I'd be going on going, is this, is it, these are our entertainment options, you know, and, in Europe, we had stations that broadcast across all, everywhere, out of Luxembourg mainly. And I'm going, don't you have them here? And yes, I did find WLS and a few, you know, WSM and a few of the biggest stations later. But I can remember one time driving through Kansas, I think it was, where the preacher said, now wherever you are, if you're at home, if you're at work, if you're driving a car, I want you to, to bow your head and close your eyes. And I'm going, no, no, don't do that. He's telling them, I'm sending you out, but that's no guarantee you're going to be okay. Listen to this. When Jesus tells you to do something and you do it, it is not a guarantee that you're going to be okay. That's an important lesson that if you don't watch, you can skip right past this. And whenever we're not okay, then we get upset at Jesus. He, never, he said, pick up your cross and follow me. We'd call that a clue, a, a hint. Well, do not take a purse or bags or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Now, that's a very odd thing, he is, but he's saying, you rely on my provision. When there is no provision, look upon that as a sign that you're done. You're done doing what you are. Um, moving on. Do not greet anyone on the road. Now, I, I hear that and I think that's fabulous. Uh, 
it's, it's not quite that way. He's saying, don't waste time. Don't get involved in side discussions. Again, there's a time crunch here. You really need to focus. You really need to keep your eyes open and know who you are, whose you are, and what your job is. That focus is amazing. <clears throat> there was a, um, maybe some of you can remember the title. It's just a, a few years back, there was a movie made of the time one of the Walendas stretched a cable across the two towers and walked it. And most people could not even watch the movie. I heard the reviewers on, and on Rotten Tomatoes, it would say um, that some people had to leave the audience because of the vertigo. I cannot imagine that level of focus. There's never been a tightrope walker with ADHD. You know, it, uh, not long, you know, maybe, maybe for a few steps, but not long. That amount of focus is what Jesus is asking them to do. Don't get involved in side discussions. By the way, there's an echo of this in Paul's instruction to Timothy when he said, no soldier entangles himself with the affairs of this world. I got something to do, so I need to do my thing. So that level of focus he's calling on. Whenever you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. By the way, I'm sure there are other cultures that do this, but the only culture I know of that this is a part of their culture are the Irish. Um, you know, they'll walk in a house and it's just automatic. It's, it's not done in a dramatic way. It's almost like, how are you? They're not even asking how you really are. But when they walk in, they'll say, God bless all here. Well, that's just part of the tradition, especially in the West of Ireland and the Gaeltacht, that, that whole area. I, I love that idea, that bless all here. So when you enter a house, say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. I love the NIV, especially the new revision that they did in 2011. It is what I have here. It's what I preach from. It's what I ask Laurie Lee to put up on the slides. They blew it here. They're, they're showing their, um, their preconceived ideas of what they want to be in the verse, to be there. I agree that we should be promoters of peace, peacekeepers, peace not peaceful, but peacekeepers, which means there's an activity. There's work to be done here. It, it doesn't say in any manuscript, as far as I can find anywhere, that if someone who promotes peace is there, then good. No, it says, if you don't, if that peace is not there after you've said peace be unto you, leave. Um, I think that makes more sense. And I'm just gonna ask you a question. You can answer in a chat box or you can have, you, know, you can unmute yourself or just think about it. Um, have you ever walked into a room and thought, I don't need to be in this room. There is something not okay. I'm backing out. Now I've done that a few times. I'm not a guy that goes, um, you know, bar hopping and the like. But I've had friends that talk to me um, when I moved to Alabama. I was a teenager going to University of Alabama in Birmingham because they had a, had at that time. They may still have one of the top um, criminal justice programs, and that's what I was studying. I uh, 
I did not understand some of the concepts and my one of the warnings I was told was you you don't go you just as you're driving along and you're hungry and thirsty you don't stop at a bar now to Christians in America you're thinking duh in in British culture the pub is where you stop even if you never drink the pub is where you stop I you go up to the barman or the bar maid uh, we didn't have bar persons and you would ask them for sandwiches and they they call back somewhere and the sandwiches are brought out to you you take them on the road they said don't do that and i said why and they said because if you don't know who's in there you're not going to be welcome and i i didn't quite get that until once i stopped i got about two feet in it was dark it was smoky back then remember smoky every head turned my direction and i was thinking and i'm gone and I just did a, and, and, and left the room. It's usually not that stark, but I've walked into rooms before and gone, mm, I don't wanna be in this room and just left. And he's telling them, you don't have time to be in a room if you doubt that that's the right room for you. You pick your room, you pick your house. It's all focused on that time limited, keep your eyes straight, no, remember what you're there for. If your peace returns to you, when you say peace be upon all in a house, if you feel that that peace has been received and it's a peaceful enough place, stay there. Eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. By the way, that phrase, for the worker deserves his, raises, uh, his wages, that changes the whole meaning of that eat whatever they put before you. He's not saying, um, don't be content. You know, maybe shop around, well, what are they having for dinner? No, he's saying it's okay for them to bless you. It's all right to receive food. It's all right to receive whatever they give you. Um, you might wonder why that needed to be said. Well, it's because they had, they had a whole group of traveling itinerant um, rabbis that, believed that self-denial was a virtue. Later, this would become a whole strain of religious thought and Gnosticism. Uh, that This is way too early for Gnosticism. But there have always been people who believe that what God really wants us from us is self-denial and pain. This is Easter. Every Easter, they'll show on TV somewhere some people in developing countries nailing somebody to a cross as a sign of their devotion uh, or walking through the street and whipping themselves. And Muslims have several groups that do this as well. Um, the idea that God is then pleased with our blood and pain, that's, that's not a biblical principle. In fact, Paul tells Timothy, you watch out for people who'd start denying you certain foods saying, no, we don't do this. And he, he warns people in Colossians, don't be impressed by teachers that say, don't taste this, don't touch that, don't handle this. He said, all that looks very religious, but it has no helpful effect. Eat what they give you. You know, in, in the Old Testament, God blessed them with the fat of the land, not with the broccoli of the land. I think that there are lessons there. Take, upon these, take them as you wish. Um, and, and by the way, I, I do enjoy broccoli as long as it's covered with cheese and other things. Um, this is, I'm not afraid to see Jesus. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. The worker deserves his wages. Uh, 
do not move around from house to house. Now, every so often we'd be across in the States and dad would do a gospel meeting because we didn't do revivals. Denominational people did revivals. We did gospel meetings and I never got a clear idea of what that was, but we had gospel meetings and every night we would go to somebody else's house for dinner. And sometimes every day we'd go to somebody else's house for lunch. Do you remember those days? Those that was, in fact, there'd be sign-up sheets. We'd walk in and we've already been called for the lunches and the dinners. A lot of these were, well, almost all of them, dad didn't do a lot of urban stuff. These were in mountainous areas, the Appalachians, or they were in um, rural farming communities. I remember Illinois for some reason, <clears throat> those, the Illinois farmers, and we would go from, I have no idea where it was, from house to house each night and the meals, each of them trying to outdo, and they started feeding us breakfast as well. And we're not talking cereal. There were meats on the table. That's not advisable, but that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, focus. If you're going from house to house, what are you doing? You're shopping houses. You're looking, oh, you know, this one, well, let's compare it to over here. Rather like a bad HGTV episode of House Hunters. But um, we, we watch because I'm married to a designer and some things are not optional. Uh, every single every single episode is the same. Oh, they're divided. He wants country. She wants city. It's all a put on. We get this. He's saying, you don't have time for this. Whatever you get, enjoy, stay there. It's very commendable. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, please remember that just happened to Jesus. That just happened back in chapter 9, verse 51. If you go and you're not welcomed, go into its streets. In other words, just don't fade away and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. We need to talk about dust. <clears throat> We're made out of dust. Saying that you're made out of dust is not a, um, an insult at all. It's, it's what we are. We are stardust, actually. Uh, there's a lot that comes from the stars that is in a human being's makeup, but it's also in other makeup, so that we don't get too big a head there. If you go through, and I have. Um, I, in fact, I did this as a devotional just a couple of months ago. After, um, after we did our service, if you remember, where we came together and uh, for the beginning of Lent, uh, Ash Wednesday service, and as the ashes go on your head, do you remember what was said? Remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. Now, that's a real downer for me because I wanted to say hi to everybody, but I had to say that. So I did, to help myself get in the right mood and mind, I went all the way through Scripture every single time that dust is mentioned. And a lot of times it is talking about us or our people. In scripture to say what they just said here, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you, doesn't mean we don't like you and we're not even gonna take your dirt with us. The dust of your town 
refers to their forefathers, their, their ancestors. It's basically saying, you and your family are cut off. That was the worst curse you could give anybody. Now, I still believe the worst curse God could give anybody was I withdraw my hand. The worst curse a human could give is that you are cut off. Do a study of that through the Old Testament. Cut off from my people, cut off from my land. Either of those. Um, very closely akin to it, you, you will have no seed. You're the end of your family line. This is, um, this is why being barren was always such a curse for the woman. They didn't understand a man was very, very much involved in the barren, not barren question. And the poor women got all the blame, which is tragic in every sense of the term. But that would mean your line has come to an end. What God is, what Jesus is, is telling them to say is to look at them and say, you are lost, your ancestors are lost. They didn't raise you right. They didn't bring you to a point to, to, to be ready for the Messiah. God is done with your line. Now that's, you know, there's a crudity in, in American expressions of uh, you and the horse you rode in on. This is a hundred times worse to them. This is, I'm getting chills right now. Because, you know, if I get lost, if, if I'm damned or destroyed, that's one thing. But to look at me and say, all of your family is cut off because of the way you act. In some ways, that, that is our reality. Um, if I don't raise up my children, if I mistreated my children, and if I mistreat my grandchildren, what are the chances of their love and God and such continuing on? It'd be pretty poor. I need a, a very much to know, is your family ready for Jesus or not? Uh, Holly put in here that this takes place in the um, context of danger for Christ and his followers. Absolutely. And it's not just the danger you might be thinking of, because we're around Easter and you think, well, we're coming up to crucifixion in his story. Oh, it's worse. About 40 years from this, one generation in, in Jewish terms, there's going to be a fall of Jerusalem and the end of the Jewish worship system that was laid out in the Old Testament. There, there's not a Jew on the planet today that can tell you with certainty what tribe they're from. What does that mean? You can't have a Levitical priesthood. It means you can't have the men of valor that were picked up by David. You don't have a worship system and you don't have a military system. You don't have a religion. It's all, it was all tied to family. Now, do you see why this is such a horrendous curse? All tied to family. And he's saying, you either take this boat or there are no boats for you. I think of that in Acts chapter 2. After Peter talks a little bit, and before his formal sermon, the people turn to each other and they say, what does this mean? Well, I'll tell you what this means. This means this is the last train out. This is the last plane out of the war zone. You either turn or you die. There is no other. Think about it. For, for a Jew around the time of Christ, and again, we say Jew, and I'm aware there's a great amount of anti-Semitism in the world, 
we are not anti-Semites, the Jews are our brothers and sisters. In their culture at that time, um, you, could have, you could have been faithful to, at the temple, or you could have been faithful as a Pharisee in their way of doing things at the temple. And you see, you could have been in a scene which we still don't understand nearly as much as people think they know about the scenes. They get it all from Josephus, and he did pretty good, as far, in my opinion. Um, but I'll just say in the last 10 years, they found that women absolutely did live in the Essene communities. And so now they're going, well, we thought it was man only. How does this work? But you could have been an Essene. You could have been saved by following John the Baptist. You had options, all these different ways of, of coming to God and being okay. After the cross, last boat out. Some of you are old enough to remember that last helicopter out of Saigon. Do you remember that? You had to have Marines, firearms, beating people off that were grabbing on that would have drugged the helicopter down. It was one of the most terrifying, I would say shameful moments that I ever saw. And I was just a teenager when I saw it. If you, had, if you didn't, it's on YouTube. Just look, last helicopter out of Saigon. Jesus is saying there is room, but it is now or literally never. You're going to be scattered. Uh, you're going to be lost for thousands of years. Well, almost 2,000 years. And then, uh, by the way, the NIV puts an end of a quote at the end of verse 11. And I think it's correct. That you can make an argument to say that the quotation should stop you know, a little earlier. But verse 12 is obviously not say, he's not telling them to say verse 12 to the town. He's obviously saying that to the 72. So the quotation does end in there somewhere. Just a reminder, in the original languages, they did not have punctuation marks. So we have to assume and use our wisdom as best we can. But verse 12, um, I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Why? Well, Sodom didn't have Jesus for three years. Sodom didn't have evangelists. The angels were not evangelists. They, according to Jesus, when he was sending the angels in, he was talking to Abraham. He says, we've heard a lot. You know, God has heard a lot of outcry against Sodom, we're going to see if it's all true. Now that can mess your theology up a little bit, but those were out of Jesus's mouth, not mine. They were, they were going in to spy and report. Yes, it was a rescue um, attempt with Lot's family, but not with the town. Here, the whole town is being given a chance to be rescued. Jesus says it's going to go easier for the Sodom folk than for these people. I never in my life have heard an entire sermon by Billy Graham. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, he was the devil in, in our church because he was, you know, he wasn't one of our church. And that was really all you needed to be to not be the devil. But he was also attracting thousands of crowds and people were going forward to be saved by just reading a prayer. Um, by the way, I don't, I don't uh, at all hold to the concept of the sinner's prayer. So I'm, please don't misunderstand me. 
I am um, very much a proponent of baptism because I believe that that's exactly what God said. So we should do it. Who God saves is his business. And I hope he saves everybody. I truly do. But I, I think there is room to say, well, I wish when he preached, he would have brought up. All right, fair enough. So we, we didn't watch him. And if you remember back in the old days, when he came on the television, nothing else was on the television. It's kind of like when a president wants to talk to you in a presidential, and there were no other channels. You couldn't go anywhere to get away from them. Well, it was like that. So we just didn't watch television. But one phrase he used, an interviewer asked him if, and I don't know, this is probably back in the back and white, black and white TV days. I don't really have a date for this. I should have looked that up. My bad. Um, do you think God will judge America? And Graham's response was, if God does not judge America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Okay, that's, um, that's a brutal thing to say, isn't it? Even if it's correct, and I'm not going to try to guess. But here, this is some brutality. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and, sackcloth and ashes. But it would be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Hades was a generic term for the dead, the gone. I am, um, I'd like to bring up something you might find here. Jesus talks about wicked servants and some that were really, really wicked. And some just re received a few blows or a few strikes with the whip. Others received many. And he was using it in the concept of, about, of eternal punishment. Um, our hell idea that one size fits all is not in scripture. I would go so far as to say I... I would stick very closely with Edward Fudge, um, a great elder, a lawyer, a teacher in the Churches of Christ, who um, really well, uh, in, in how do I put that, introduced to us the concept of annihilationism, that when you die, if you do not have the gift of eternal life through Christ, you're just gone. Now, you need to understand that I'm speaking for me. I'm not speaking for the shepherds here. I'm not even speaking for all of my staff because I know of at least one staff member who disagrees with me and we understand that and we respect each other and we talk about it as friends. You know, so we're, we're fine there. But the Bible, absolutely, whether or not you believe that it's a once and done thing, that you're, you're burned up and gone, that there are variations in punishment. Here he says, it's going to be easier for this town than for your town. And we're, I'm going to go easier on these people than those people. I, I really believe that what happens when we die is such a mystery that perhaps we shouldn't be too haughty and just say, we know if you die believing in Jesus, that's a good thing. So let's do that. But the, all the rest of it, do you remember the Jack Chick tracks? Um, if you don't know Jack Chick, you might want to look that name up on Wikipedia and read the story. 
and then go from there to the links. Um, there was an amazing, um, what do you call it, cover story done in a weird magazine called Fortean Times recently about the phenomena. Jack Chick was a super, super, super fundamentalist Baptist. Uh, the Southern Baptists, you know, are well to his, his left. He, he looked upon them as liberals. And he made a bunch of little tracks, cartoons, very dramatic people going to hell because they danced or somebody had a beer and then the fire comes and it's, it's, they're horrific. They really are. I found a couple of those as a boy. First of all, I loved them because they were comics and my father wouldn't allow comic books. So, you know, hey, got something here. Very dramatic. But they were terrifying. They were awful. Jesus isn't telling us to do that. Proclaim Jesus. If you won't take it, walk away. God will deal with them in a measure that we can't even guess at. So again, I don't know if you've noticed that before. This is not the only place we see this, that it's not a one-size-fits-all punishment. It's also not a one-size-fits-all heaven. Um, I, I believe the scripture indicates that some we're all going to enjoy it. Some are going to enjoy it more. Um, why? How? We're, we're not given that information. And, and some of those that see on, like um, John the Revelator or Paul the Apostle, aren't allowed to tell us what they saw about some things. You know, Paul says, I saw things that's not lawful for a man to speak. In Revelation, John's writing down everything they're telling him to write down. And then an angel says, don't write down this. And something happens off screen. So let's let God be in charge of all of that. Um, any questions, by the way, you can put them in the chat box if you'd like, or unmute and ask. One of the hardest things about this to me is that classes have gone from an interactive, you know, because Tim Street usually has something to say, and John Little or Matthew Little have something to say, and Albert has a, a microphone, um, to a 45-minute nonstop speaking. And I don't know how you're handling it. I'm assuming you've had medication, you're just putting a picture up, and you're somewhere else now. Um, the next one, verse 16, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. I, I would like to offer a caution. He said this to them. He did not say that to me. Someone who rejects me may be very, very wise in rejecting me. I might have said the wrong thing, done the wrong thing, been the wrong person. I don't think we need to get it in our heads that this is our promise. And that, all right, somebody wrote me a mean email, but that's all right. If they reject me, they reject Jesus. Um, no, no. I have been wrong awfully wrong, shamefully wrong, way too many times to assume that anybody that disagrees with me has rejected God. Instead, why don't we think, well, if they rejected me, then I'm not the teacher for them. God will send another teacher to them, or I'm wrong, and he will send a teacher to me. And this just go on and live your life. Do the best you can. I believe humility is really called for, and, and so don't grab a verse out of um, out of context and apply it to you and let that give you excuse. I say that to preachers and that's not always popularly received. 
Um, the 72 returned with joy. I really wish they'd returned with stories so that we could have, but they returned with joy. Uh, and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And here's in the last few minutes, I'm going to tell you a mystery. It starts in verse 18. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Um, wow. Now, I lived in West Virginia for a while, and it was illegal. The snake handling churches were illegal, um, which bothers me by a bit. You know, and anytime a, a, a government can, require, can say a church is illegal, you know, unless there's actual abuse, and maybe there was, maybe there was. Uh, I feel the same about non-Christian faiths. The Supreme Court ruled many years ago that um, Native Americans could not use, uh, how do you pronounce that, peyote? Um, the little bud that helps them, it's a hallucinogenic, but it's part of their dreams and worship. And said, no, no, that's a drug, therefore they can't use it. That bothered me. You know, and if, they were, if they were giving it to children, or if they're getting it and driving, let's make laws there. If, anytime government can restrict one religion, it can restrict them all. So just let's, let's not be quick in calling for that. But in West Virginia, down, this, down the road from us, I'm going to guess, and my Morgantown friends will email and text me later because they listen if I'm wrong here. I think it's about 20 miles away, due west of us, was a community called hundred. I don't think a hundred people live there, but it's called hundred. And every so often there's this little white building and they'd put up a sign that they're going to have snake handling on a certain night. As far as I know, they were never busted. The cops never moved on them, which is fine. And I appreciated the sign because if ever I'd been tempted to stop, I would like to know today's not your day. This is the snake day. And if, ever I was at a church where they pulled these out, and I've not been, but if ever I was, I would ask them where the nearest door was, and if there wasn't one, I would ask them, where would you like a door? I don't want to be there. But they quote this passage, that you, you are going to trample on snakes and scorpions and nothing will harm you. Okay, two problems. <clears throat> one, wildly out of context. He's speaking to 72 people he has sent out and who have come back. You weren't in that group. Be very careful about assuming he, he was really thinking about you and not them. Second, these weren't actual snakes and scorpions. These were the agents of the enemy of God. So anything, any enemy of the cross, in fact, in my prayers, I often use the phrase, protect us from any enemy of the cross, physical or spiritual. That's what he's talking about. So uh, remember, Jesus called some people sons of snakes. That wasn't literal. Neither, uh, well, John the Baptist called them sons of snakes. Sorry. That wasn't literal, and neither is this. So what's he talking about? The one I want to talk about real quick, I want you to think about. We do not, we do not know for certain the answer of when did Jesus see Satan fall from heaven? We know in the book of Job that Satan walks in and out of heaven, correct? When did he stop? Well, uh, 
there seems he seems to show up in the Old Testament, but a little cloaked. For example, one time God addresses his angels and saying, well, who will tempt to this king? And there's an angel there going, I'll do it. Probably still Satan. So when was he tossed? There are those who believe he was tossed after the temptation of Christ when Jesus refused his offers. There are those who believe that he was tossed right then at this Luke 10 period. I, I believe, and please put red flags all around this. This is Patrick talking. Certainly not Jesus talking. I believe he is looking in the future because Satan's going to throw everything he's got at Jesus all the way up to the cross. And then Jesus comes out. And I believe that when God turned the lights off during the crucifixion, he'd had all he could take, all he could take of Satan. And Satan was tossed out. I believe that's when he fell. But think about that. We are over time now. Anybody have any questions? Or anybody want to chime in on anything about your Easter experience or uh, the class? They're leaning forward to see the, check, the chat box. If you don't know where that is, if you just move your cursor, it pops up on the bottom and you can click chat. You are not obligated to chat once you do that, but it, you can see what anybody else is typing. Uh, or you can unmute yourself and ask a question if you'd like. Because if not, I'm going to send you away to your sumptuous feast, the beginning of many leftovers that you will eat since we're not preparing for a huge family this time. And that's a we little sad, isn't you, it? Patrick, a beautiful, beautiful message today. Um, a lot was coming in my mind about acceptance. Thank you, Kimberly. It is hard to be accepting of this time, isn't it? It, it is. Um, we, have, we have actually, and I don't talk about stuff like this often. Cammy and I have actually broken down in tears several times and not understanding why until we think about it. We're the uncertainty, the feeling disassociated, yeah. You know, our friends, our people, and it almost always gets me whenever I listen to Mark and the team sing on Sunday. Yeah. As soon as that song starts, it hits. And today, for some reason, it was during the Lord's Prayer. Wow. Um, this, wow. Accepting this is hard, isn't it, Kimberly? Yeah. And Keith, I imagine your job is very complicated. <laughs> well, it can be at times. That's oh. for sure. But we're getting through it, and people are still, still uh, getting around and moving, doing what they got to do. <laughs> well, great. if ever you need a, a week back and a weak mind, let me know. I, that would, <laughs> I'll put you on the roster. I need, I need somebody just to point sometimes. You know, I am, I am the quickest person to point and judge others, so you just let me know. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. Well, thank you. To, thank you to everybody. And happy Easter. You too. Thank see you, Lori. God bless you. And Tony, it's good to see all of you. God bless. Bye.